Shit Platypus Says, Episode 45. Welcome to another episode of Shit Platypus Says. The Commentary on the Commentary of the Left. My name is Andreas Wintersberger. I am one of your co-hosts. We have a two-part episode today. In the first part of the episode, our co-hosts Lisa Müller and Rebecca Parler sit down with Platypus member Clint Montgomery to talk about our annual International Platypus Convention. Our international convention, which is sort of the highlight in your platypus calendar, will take place in Chicago from the 31st of March until April the 3rd. In the segment, Lisa, Rebecca and Clint talk about why the convention this year will be held under the overarching theme of Marxism and the ends of liberalism, what that has to do with the COVID pandemic and what other events will be hosted during the convention. Whether you want to meet Platypus members from all over the world, discuss global trends within the left and its history, or get a sense of the meaning of the death of the left for our current moment in history, you should definitely come to Chicago and get yourself a ticket for the convention. Your Shit Platypus Says podcast team will be there as well. For the second part of the episode, Lisa and Rebecca talk with the editor-in-chief of the German-speaking Platypus Review, Tobias Rochlitz. Tobias, Rebecca and Lisa discuss the failure of the new left with articles on Hans-Jürgen Krahl and the 1968 movement, an interview with Wolf Wetzel and the disintegration of the autonomous movement in the 1970s, and the response from Michael Fischer to an article from our member Max Hörügel on the failure of the early anti-Deutsch current within the left. If you want to find out more about our convention, how to be a part of it, or just about Platypus in general, go to our website platypus1917.org. Enjoy and see you in Chicago. everybody um this is me rebecca and i'm here with lisa and we've invited clint montgomery onto the show now clint is part of the organizing committee for platypus's international convention 2022 um how are you doing clint um would you mind telling us a little bit about what is the platypus convention and um what are we doing this year thanks for having me on so the platypus convention every year um, its purpose is to convene the membership and to bring as much of the left together as possible to reflect on trends and divergences uh, within the left and to sort of, you know, have a conversation in person there in that sense. And the theme this year is Marxism and the ends of liberalism. It's a bit of a weird one. It's, it's not something you'd generally put together. 
I'd say. Like, I, I know for Platypus, we tend to play along with the this theme of, like, Marxism and liberalism and the relationship or the non-relationship. So maybe explain a bit more. So what's why now? Why now pick the theme of Marxism and liberalism? Why, why draw it out from everything else? So this topic of liberalism, I mean, the most obvious and immediate context for that is the state response to the pandemic and the way that the left largely tailed it. Of course, not all of the left was, you know, tailing that state response. You know, there was a anarchist, state skeptical, several different varieties of that on the left. And of course, you know, the the COVID pandemic is now, you know, in terms in terms of like the media cycle and whatnot, uh, has already been memory hold. Everybody's got their eyes on Ukraine, and we're reflecting that now, you know, with a series of international um, panels on that topic. But the COVID pandemic did have an effect on the left, and it is a perhaps an appropriate legacy that the fate of the millennial left, you know, where it ended up, uh, was just to, like, tail the lockdown health policy of the capitalist parties. And there were, you know, quite a few questions raised by that. And so we're going to, so that's, you know, the more, the most, the most immediate context of it. But of course, contained within that is the right to protest. Um, you know, the, you know the, there was BLM right in the middle of COVID. Um, there's the trucker convoy now at the end of it. Um, civil rights, liberties, all of, all of those sorts of questions, you know, that there were many different approaches to um, on the left that kind of immediately raised the question of liberalism in that sense. But the question of liberalism was actually there really at the beginning of the millennial left. And you can see that most obviously with like Jacobin DSA, where, you know, the idea is that because we now have, you know, progressive liberal democracy and welfare state capitalism, that we don't need independent proletarian politics. You know, we don't need a party. We definitely don't need, you know, the transitional dictatorship of the proletariat. We can sort of try to push the capitalist state, you know, towards more progressive liberalism. So that question has already uh, been there. And the period where that became most acute, you know, after the anti-war movement, after Occupy, was with the neo-social democracy um, around Bernie. We call this the the, the socialist turn. Um, you know, it's really just more of like a progressive electoralist turn. But that period is like has been over for a while now. And so, if the like definitive end of that socialist turn, we're kind of seeing now this return to materialism, like class materialism. So if you kind of think about it, like, you know, the millennial left was this moment of idealism. We're going to change the world. We're going to, you know, they aspired to pose a political challenge to neoliberalism and, you know, to even overcome capitalism. So there was this like moment of idealism. The same sort of way that, you know, there was the idealism of the international revolution around the second and third international Failing that, you have this, you know, return to class materialism. And then, you know, the idealism of the of the 60s that when that collapses, um, there's a turn to like 
theory and organization. Um, you know, we're, we've got to get serious about like Marxism in the seventies. And so, it, you know, it has that deeper thirties tintage, but there is a distinct seventies repeat going on right now in the wake of the failure of the millennial left, you know, by like 2018, you're seeing like proliferation of online journals and like, you know, YouTube accounts and, um, you know, you've got the post or anti-left, you know, we're going to be like class first materialists against the PMC. There's a pretty large phenomenon of anti-woke Zoomer Maoism. Um, you've got like patriotic socialism. The IMT is, you know, they're they're getting serious about theory now and they're reading like, you know, the anti-during and um, basically like any, you know, just from the the conversations that I've had, like any Zoomer who's like interested in like theory, they they basically you know you, you turn to YouTube Stalinists, um, and they, who will like explain theory. So that's kind of what's going on with this. You know, that's the sort of historical composition repetition. Um, you know, the the way that time, historical time is being um, condensed in the unconscious necessity of the present. Is that sort of like 30s, 70s moment um, that's kind of underlying it. Overshadowing all of that or hanging over all of that is um, definitely this like 1980s depoliticization. Because obviously, you know, the, the, the left doesn't really know what to do now. So, Clint, the convention starts on March uh, 31st, and it's the panel on the 1980s, the legacy of the 1980s. Is this our um, starting panel? So do we, do we start the convention with the, with the 80s? March 31st is officially a pre-convention event. We're going to have some smaller events on EU, NATO, and the left, and on post-pandemic politics. And the 1980s is sort of, yeah, it's, it's, it's framing it, but it's not part of the official convention. We're just sort of raising the question of if depoliticization is, sort, is what informed the last time we got serious about Marxism and theory and organization, well, how, how is this going to be informing this time? You know, it was in the 80s that the DSA got founded and institutionalized and, you know, the institutionalization of activism and academicism. The millennials are going to be, you know, to the degree that they can get jobs, are going to be teaching the Zoomers in the, in the academy. So, and then obviously, of course, like, you know, the Reagan was a death knell to the left and Trump has run against the Reagan coalition and, you know, the left, you know, defined itself against Trump. And it's not clear who the Democratic Party yet is going to be placing to run against him um, in 2024. So overhanging this sort of deeper 70s, you know, getting serious about theory and class and party and or, or at least organization in some sense, um, is this 80s depoliticization. So we're going to have uh, a panel on Thursday that's just kind of raising that question. But the 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 real historical moment in terms of, you know, holding the left to its highest aspirations is the 70s turn. And yeah, so to like specify that though, uh, so 
the the convention theme itself, like Marxism and the ends of liberalism, were playing off of the the two senses of ends. So, like on the one hand, the end of liberalism has been declared several times now, and obviously, you know, we're we've long been living in the muddling through political shift into post neoliberalism. And that's like, you know, widely in the larger, you know, it's larger social consciousness is, you know, the end of liberal hegemony. Um, Post neoliberalism is not just something that Chris Catrone or leftists are saying, you know, people in the mainstream are saying that now. But really the, the end of liberalism goes back to its birth as liberalism in the, in the early 1800s. I mean, the, it becomes liberalism when it's already in a crisis. So it's already like the crisis of liberalism as soon as it becomes that. And that crisis is actually bound up with the social question, with, with socialism. And so Marx in his moment is prosecuting that historical contradiction that on the one hand, like socialism is just the realization of liberalism, you know, just the realization all of all you know the aims, the free, equal cooperation, releasing social powers and potentials through the division of labor, you know, applied Adam Smith, so to speak. But then on the other hand, um, that in order to realize the aims of liberalism, there has to be a total break with it. Um, you know, the crisis of liberalism is that deep that a unprecedented form of historical organizational, practical, political consciousness is necessary to prosecute that crisis of liberalism. And so, you know, like, imperialism was the end of liberalism, you know, now we're we're in, like, the post-neoliberalism. So playing on the one hand that the end of liberalism has been proclaimed several times now, and then also, you know, just what are the aims of liberalism? So... You know, what is the purpose of liberalism? So, like, how should Marxism's relation to post-neoliberalism be setting up the task of socialism? And so, yeah, so that's the broad framing of it. And, yeah. Could you say a little bit more about the events or panels that are planned to shed light on the question of Marxism and the end of liberalism and which speakers we invited? Yeah, so we're asking that pretty directly on... Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon. So on Friday afternoon, just straightforwardly, what is the relationship of Marxism and liberalism um, to, to enflesh all of that? And then on Saturday afternoon, Biden, COVID, and the left to open that space for reflection on what the politics of the pandemic from the left could have meant. And then on Friday evening and on Saturday evening, we've got... Really the same sort of question, but from two different angles and with two different sets of speakers. So on Friday evening, what is leadership for the left? Because if you've got the, you know, the the anti-woke Zoomer Maoism, you've also got the hyper-woke. And, um, you know, then an implicit in that is this legacy from the 60s and 30s of, you know, being oppressed makes you revolutionary. So we're trying to bring out that moment of mediation, right? Like, how could these democratic discontents pose the question of society per se? Like, what is the relationship of 
leadership in society, democracy, and revolution. Um, so you know, opening up, opening up that sort of question, and then on Saturday evening, just straightforwardly, what is Marxism for? Um, I would also say that uh, we've got a couple of speakers uh, who are soft on Trump, quote unquote, meaning accepting the historical reality of Trump and asking what sort of necessity and possibility should have been met um, or could be met by by the left. So, you know, so we've got uh, Anthony Montero, who's a former Black Panther, a you know Maoist. Um, he runs the Saturday Free School in Philadelphia. And he's just like, you know, how did the, you know, when did the CIA become the vanguard of democracy? And the white working class is, you know, obviously oppressed and, you know, addicted to fentanyl and all of that. And so, like, why wasn't the left, you know, able to meet this moment um, of you know, the crisis of society? And uh, we've also got James Hartfield. Uh, so he's... You know, the, coming out of the RCP, he was around the spiked milieu. He's um, he's the mentor of the Alpha Bunga Bunga crew, and you know, he's saying, "Well, we don't need Marxism anymore. We can just do like revolutionary liberalism." Um, you know, he supported Brexit, and Benjamin Studebaker, who's uh, you know, he's a millennial who was trying to get the millennials to open their electoral vantage beyond the base of the Democratic Party. Um, you know, you can try to get progressives elected in you know rural Oklahoma and whatnot. So we'll have you know people you know who aren't you know we wouldn't call you know soft on Trump in that sense, but you know, we'll have like Conrad Hamilton, Benjamin Balthazar, um, who were both you know trying to pose the politics of the pandemic from the left um, in different ways, and we'll have the we'll have the cosmonaut crew there. You know they're trying to hold the DSA up to the level of historical Marxism, like, you know, let's, let's, let's found a party out of this. And a couple of other speakers. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a wide variety of speakers and, like, you know, some, and some specific questions um, being posed here. And, yeah, I think, it'll, I think it'll be some pretty sharp conversations. Yeah, I'm looking so much forward to be first time in Chicago. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. No, same here. I can't wait to see you. Anyone listening, if you're in the Chicago region, or even if you're not in the Chicago region, and you want an excuse to go to Chicago, the Platypus International Convention will be held on the first weekend of April. Again, we've got loads of panels and events open to the public, so please come along. Find it on the website, and everybody's welcome. We will put all the information in the description so you can find everything we said. Thanks, Clint. I'm so excited to see y'all guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Rebecca and I are here with Tobias Rochlitz, who is the editor-in-chief of the German Platypus Review, founded in 2016, to discuss the issue 17. Great to have you with us. 
Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Tobias, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you became the editor of the German PR and maybe a bit about how the German PR came into view? Yeah, sure. I mean, actually, it was more or less by coincidence. I heard about it last year that something like the German PR actually exists. And so I became involved. So how did the German Platypus Review um, come about? It was more or less an, an initiative by German-speaking members uh, six years ago when the German-speaking platypus was still much smaller. And the idea was like to do basically the same like the, the English uh, PR to uh, archive our curation of hosting the history uh, on the left. And since we kind of are meeting different language areas, let's say, um, there's also the opportunity to get involved in different languages. And I would say that's the basic reason, yeah. What's the specificity about the issue 17, especially in, in consideration of what you just said so about the purpose of the German Platypus Review? I would say what's specific about PR issue number 17 is that it's uh, very much covering new left topics. Um, the new left is a very, very central topic to all of um, these texts. And it actually covers different aspects of the history of the new left and its successors. So we actually have a text by Marcel Kleufer, who is a historian of the new left and a contact from our Leipzig chapter, who wrote a text about uh, Hans-Jürgen Kral, which was a quite famous um, figure of the new left in Germany. Um, and he focuses on uh, Kral's uh, theory of revolution between 1967 and 1970. And then kind of chronologically following that, we have an interview with uh, Wolf Wetzel, who is a former autonomist, which is kind of a stream of the new left. And he talks about his own politicization in the 70s, about the uh, coming about of the autonomists, and then about their eventual failure in the 1980s and about the left today. The last text we have in there is uh, by Michael Fischer, who is a regular author for the anti-Deutsch journal Bahamas and a long-standing contact of our Vienna chapter. He actually replies to a text that was published in the PR before by our member on the early anti-Deutsch and the working class. Yeah, Michael Fischer kind of replies to that and disagrees with Max, uh, but also reflects on the failure of the anti-Deutsch. So that's roughly it. This is a good occasion to go into the texts a little bit more. First of all, who's Kral? He was called the Marxist Robespierre from Frankfurt-Bockenheim and Adorno's tormentor. He's a very central figure to, to the new left, to the SDS in Germany. He was actually part of a rather far-right group and then came to the left via the youth organization of the Conservative Party in Germany. And he was kind, of, yeah, he was a student uh, of Adorno, but also famously then broke from Adorno when Adorno notoriously or famously called the police on student protest in Frankfurt. But anyway, so he was uh, alongside with uh, Rudi Dutschke, he was one of the intellectual leaders of the student new left um, of the 1960s. And Kral, of course, like addressed the history of the old left, he saw kind of the problem that in late capitalism, as he, as he saw it, 
that kind of the organizational form, like how the old left tried to organize and address the problem of theory and practice, he didn't think that that was accurate anymore in late capitalism. So his whole political lifetime, he was concerned in a reconstruction of Marxism, as it seems, or especially a revolutionary theory. He was into um, the anti-authoritarian student movement. He was concerned with the proletarian class struggle and also with um, the role of the intellectual. What were his political influences? Marcel is um, mentioning Cuba, the Vietnam War, and the guerrilla fights in um, South America. It's true that they look kind of to the struggles or revolutions in countries that are not part of the capitalist center. I think it's very much influenced by, by the point that both kind of Stalinism and social democracy failed. So it's kind of the attempt to find a different way out of this problem. So yeah, as you said, like he was very much influenced by this idea of like the guerrilla fight and he kind of tried to wrap his head around like how this guerrilla fight could have like relevance um, in the capitalist centers. His claim is that um, the critique of anarchism, like the, the classical critique by Marxism of anarchism, is not accurate anymore in late capitalism, right? So the point is that this critique of voluntarism and kind of the rejection of theoretical thoughts is not accurate to Kral anymore. And so this is what he just thinks that kind of the kind of objective conditions in late capitalism are so ripe that kind of there is no wrong voluntarism anymore. But at the same time, I mean, Kral died quite early with 27 years, only in 1970. So he saw kind of this transformations of the new left in 1968 and afterwards the beginning time of the of the car groups and it's like i would say it's like he's not he's really not simplifying the matter in a way right he really tries to understand it and he is for example not completely against kind of organizing or whatever but he's rather interested in how can kind of the left and the proletariat be organized in a way that it's not just reproducing authoritarianism. So kind of how can you have like an organization that is in a way disciplinary, but like not authoritarian, that can then lead kind of to a, to a society that is, um, yeah, non-authoritarian. I have a question concerned to what you just said, Tobias, about Graz aim to organize um, the working class and the students that he has these the failed revolution um, of uh, in Germany 1918 and the legacy of the October revolution in Russia and in the 60s the Stalinism he sees himself confronted as you said with a situation where he doesn't want to fall back into a traditionalism um, and that just copies um, models and forms of the October Revolution. And on the other hand, he also says where he contradicts himself a little bit is that he wants to uh, reconstruct a Marxist theory or a revolutionary theory in a way. And then he abandons um, the Marxist critique of anarchism at once. 
And then he is uh, concerned with organizing and he is also concerned in bringing the guerrilla wars to the cities. Then we also have um, the moment where he is um, in the, the May protests and he wants to combine the workers' movement with the student movement and he's speaking about a needed, a needed intellectual role here and he wants to politicize science. So he, he pleads for, a, for a intelligentsia who becomes the collective theorist for the proletariat. You said Kral died early on. I think he, he only got 27 years old. I think the essay finishes pretty well that we shouldn't forget that also Kral has failed. What do we do with that? What happens to this? All the stuff you said is, is true. And I think it just like this, this contradictions also tell us that that it's hard kind of to talk about a completely coherent kind of, let's say, theoretical approach because like it's this, um, maybe this early Kral who then didn't get like much older, uh, but also because a lot of things happened, right? And there are like a lot of different um, influences. And also I think what's maybe important, and this is a good connection to the other text, that Marcel ends the essay by saying that this legacy of Kral actually was not really taken up mm. right afterwards. So there's no like really, in a way, continuation. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe interesting if we, yeah, if we come now to the interview with Wolf Wetzel, because kind of in the year Kral dies, that's exactly the year when Wetzel actually gets politicized, right? He gets confronted with the Vietnam War. So maybe first of all, who is Wolf Wetzel? He used to be part of an autonomous group in the 1980s, which was called the Lupus Group, which wrote a lot of texts. And since the 1990s, he's been mainly an author. And he was on our Corona and the Left panel in January of 2021. The interesting thing is that Wetzel retrospectively, I would say, addresses very similar question or problem like Kral. And that's the question of organization mm. right because seemingly this um, autonomists are like rather in this um, anarchist stream or something mm -hmm. but Wetzel says that it, it was actually not like that right they were really kind of the autonomists were organized in hierarchical organizations and Wetzel speaks very fond of like this anti-authoritarian organization so it's not like kind of the centralized party with the discipline but At the same time, it's kind of, there is kind of a hierarchy and there is kind of a structure that can coordinate political struggle. But at the same time, he's, he then sees that, like he says that in 1986, it got clear that all the other movements of the new left kind of came to an end. Like he says, that's where like it became clear that the um, potential of them was at its highest. Wetzel is raising also the question of leadership, which is maybe a little bit uh, avoided by the anti-authoritarian movements before. When he looks back to the disintegration of the 68 movement and the genesis of the Spontis, 
he does raise the question of leadership and the relation between the movement and the party. Mm -hmm. And a crucial experience for him seems to be the founding of the Green Party in Germany. I was wondering how is the development of the Green Party for Wetzel a regression, especially their existence coming out of the um, autonomous movement? The Greens kind of came out of the sponti, like the spontaneous movement, as the autonomous did in a way. So kind of part of this questions that is that is raised in the interview is why did the Greens succeed and why did the autonomous fail? So both as kind of phenomenon that came out of like this spontaneous post-1960s new left. And I would say for Wetzel, the Greens are a phenomenon of regression because he thinks kind of that they are uh, the tool how the ruling class can integrate the new left into the state, into capitalism. That's the regression. I I have the feeling, even though he really tried to wrap his head around it, he didn't really have a good answer why the Greens did succeed and why the autonomists did not. He says like kind of why the autonomists failed, and I think that's maybe one of the most interesting parts of the interview, is because like they didn't really observe, let's say, the world maybe in a way, right? They didn't really care for what was happening around them in a broader in a broader way. It was all very much kind of uh, focused on specific actions on specific occasions but what what kind of was missing was like this general framework to reflect and this is that's maybe coming back also to Kral and to what we already discussed with Wetzel I would say like he's more or less talking about like right what's the historical subject what can the historical subject be in this specific historical moment. And Kral tries to find an answer. And I think Wetzel also tries to find an answer for that because right, rightly they see that kind of the all the attempts of the old left failed and they're trying to find new ways. But Wetzel very clearly also recognizes retrospectively that it was failed attempts. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's this nice little quote that he says. So this is a um, translation So it says, with the spontanees after the end of the house-to-house fight, and that's always the case in every movement cycle, the question arose, what are you doing? What now? A large proportion simply returned to what they had rebelled against and were no longer seen. It would be unfair to say that everyone collapsed. No, that's always the case with movements. 90% go back to where they were before. The core of the interview... Um, kind of with with Wetzel reflecting on this kind of collapse of the new left. I guess, as I understand it, he's referring to the Greens, right? You're collapsing back into the kind of capitalist governing system. So I guess the question then is, does Wetzel go any further in this interview, right? In terms of, um, you know, he's trying to wrap his head around the collapse of the new left. How does he kind of stand with the Greens now, right? So you had him on the Corona on the Left panel in Germany, Did what he say about the left response to COVID connect in with this kind of ongoing reflection on his time in the new left? He he mentions like an external reason and an internal reason why kind of the autonomists failed. The internal, I already said, right? Like he said that, that they didn't have really the the ability to um, to understand what was going on around them. And an external factor, he says that there was 
the repression got stronger and stronger. So Wetzel on the panel, he was actually the only one on the panel, except of like Stefan of Platypus maybe, that was critical of kind of the corona measures of the state. He was the only one who kind of defended, for example, um, liberal rights, right? The other speaker said, mm, I don't know, like liberal kind of rights, that's like for bourgeoisie and capitalism. But we as the left, we don't care for liberal rights, we care for collective rights. And Wessel was saying, so no, actually we do care about uh, liberal individual rights. Mm -hmm. So I think like he really sees in Corona, but already before, like he sees like this continuation of the of the integration of the left of the successor of the new left into the state. But that's really, I would say, long standing, right? Like he Wetzel also mentions in the interview that it's really that the Greens from quite early onwards, that they were the political enemies, like already when the autonomists like existed and were quite a strong movement. And I think for him, like since the 90s, it just continued, right? If you look to the legacy of the Greens since the 90s, it's kind of a further integration, if you want so, into the capitalist state. The title of the interview is Recognizing the Cracks in the System. So he pleads to that a left should be able to recognize the cracks in the system you live in. And I think he is concerned um, with the idea that a party does only mean electoralism, while he thinks that leadership does mean more than this. And the failure of the Greens is exactly that the generation um, of leftists do think that a party is only that. Also, that a movement just seems to be street fighting, which is a further regression of what, for example, Kral was, was um, looking at um, in the 60s, which raises also the party question. Kral himself says that in this situation of the protests in May uh, 1968, It was the Communist Party that became the biggest obstacle for these protests and that these um, cadre parties are not a sufficient mean um, for fighting for socialism um, anymore. And he rejects the idea of, of a Communist Party. Wetzel is opening up a space for just questioning what kind of a role the left and leadership or the relation between the left and leadership could mean. That's also a good opportunity to connect it to, to the third text um, on the Antideutsch, because actually also the, the question of the party comes up again um, as an accusation against Platypus. As I said earlier on, Michael Fischer is reacting to an article our, one of our members, Max, wrote in the PR before, Yeah, so he basically has two points of concern, you could say. One is that he thinks that the Anti-Deutsch themselves regressed since the early 2000s and just integrated into the Greens or into identity politics in general. And on the other hand, he's concerned with Platypus. And he thinks that Platypus is actually just trying to build kind of a cadre party And he thinks that that's kind of hostile towards the workers. And what I found maybe interesting about 
this is that also Michael Fischer brings up the PMC question, right? The political managerial class. And he's very critical of it. And he sees this as the reason for failures on the left. Um, and he thinks that Platypus rejects kind of this PMC theory because basically we are ourselves PMC. And what I just found interesting, and that's maybe getting back in an interesting way to the to the interview and to the text about Kral, that to me it seems that Fisher sees in Platypus kind of both the 1960s left, right, like this petit bourgeois PMC intellectuals, and at the same time he sees us at the 70s left that tries to build cadre parties in some way. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just find it find it interesting because maybe it like right raises again the question: to what extent it is what comes after the 1960s and 1970s new left in a way a repetition of kind of being between those two poles, right? Like that that is in a way represented by the 1960s and by the 1970s in a way intellectuals versus workers. It seems like that this is like coming up uh, again and again, like in this moment we are in right now. I, I think maybe what's key to this, I, I found it insightful into Fisher's own thinking. It's it's a line um, at the end of the paragraph when he's talking about platypus. He says the idea of the cadre party is also based on contempt for the workers. They are corrupt and easily influenced and just need the right leadership to bring them towards socialism. I mean, it's interesting because it's tapping into, as you said, the, the main themes throughout the other two articles is this kind of like spontaneity versus organization, which is fraught with the history of like the failure of the German revolution and the Stalinization of Germany, and then the new left and the collapse of the new left. And it's interesting now in the present, on, on one side of the coin, it manifests as working class versus the left, these academic Marxist intellectuals versus people who are actually working class and who like have the real potential to cause a social change. This is like, it's true, right? It's like, it's not really contradictions, it's rather oppositions. And maybe right to come back like to this broader idea, maybe of this, of this issue, um, number 17, right in general, that like this topic of the new left seems so present, like in general also within the last um, issues of the German PR. I was reminded actually by the um, teaching Chris Crutron gave in 2017-2018 about the death of the millennial left, because there he said like the, the new left is dead. What does, what does that mean? So basically everything that might have gone beyond the new left in the millennial left is not present anymore. And kind of the millennial left collapsed into the Democratic Party through the DSA within 10 years, whereas the new left collapsed into the Democratic Party via the DSA within 20 years. So I just thought about, like, why does the new left come up again and again? And it seems to be right when the millennial left is dead, kind of in that sense, as Crutron described it, then like... All we are left with seems to be the new left, right? The people go to the original again and they try to process this failure and death of the millennial left in a way via the new left. And do you, do you think that's coming into this article with, with Fisher? Where is the motivation of the article coming from? Is he responding to this kind of post 
social democratic moment that we had on the left? I mean, I think it was really that he, he just he read uh, Marx's article and he was not agreeing with it. So maybe to illustrate a little bit more. So the point is right. Marx wrote an article about the early anti-Germans and the working class. Um, and I think he did so like very much intentionally because it's probably like the early anti-Deutsch are a more interesting phenomenon that, that came after it, precisely because they also embody in a way this uh, oppositions that existed within the new left. For example, of anti-authoritarianism and party building. So, right, Max wanted to shed light on this point, okay, the anti-Deutsch are really a successor product in a way of the disintegration of the new left. And I think Fischer is really saying the problems are not the 90s, really. The problem are the 2000s, because he specifically quotes kind of an event in the beginning of the 2000s where he sees kind of that the anti-Deutsch kind of already drifting into like this identity politics. Maybe in this parts, like the parts in the US and the DSA that think that you have to abandon identity politics and you have to kind of focus on materialism, on the true economic interests of the people, of the workers, right? Like that's also like of the workers and definitely not of the PMC. So I think this is in a way how I would like situate Fischer's article in a way in this international discussion. This is problematic and where the PMC theory outlives Fischer here is I don't know what he means by materialistic class analysis, but what's often meant by it is really the sociological analysis, um, as also Pam and Cam um, elaborated in the occasion of the Canadian trucker convoy from last episode in the podcast, where class is defined by the owning the means of production. And then the left is is um, disputing who is into the group and who is out, while for Marxists, the working class is not a static sociological empirical category, but a process of um, political constitution and consciousness, which was previously abandoned by the PMC theory as well. And I think... All the yeah the article um, from Fisher le leaves me thinking about is Lenin and what is to be done, and this is also the link to the Kral text. How the the terrorists and the economists are two sides of the same coin, and that their inner necessary connection is um, the worship of spontaneity. So the economists who praise the spontaneity of the pure labor movement. And um, the terrorists, um, the spontaneity of the most passionate um, of the intellectuals who fail to tie the labor movement into a whole. And also that these two leads to reformism, that terrorists are only reformists with guns, and that the economists who praise to uh, find a labor political practice and just watch looking at these sociological group doesn't mean anything. I thought a lot about Lenin and what is to be done and Lenin 101 about the party and that this proletarian consciousness isn't really um, recognizable in, in a spontaneous form. But this is, this is the task of a socialist leadership to 
uh, constitute a class with a specific political horizon that leads uh, towards socialism. Tobias, how can we, or people on the left, how can they contribute to the German PR? Yeah, so like you can contribute in various ways. So we are always interested in article submissions. It can be also book reviews. It can be interviews. Uh, so we are always very interested in that. You can either visit us on platypus1917.org slash the platypus review or you can see where is a local chapter around you and get in contact with this chapter so we would be very uh, happy if you speak if you write german um if you consider that as an option um and also the same applies to uh, the next issue that will come up platypus review number 18 there we will have um we will feature um the panel transcript of our 2021 panel, What is the Legacy of the Communist Party of Germany? So, yep, uh, stay tuned and uh, check us out. Awesome. Tobias, I have one last question for you. Are you going to the convention? Yes, I'm actually going to the convention. And it will be, it will be my first uh, in-real-life convention, so I'm very much looking forward to it. No, same here. I can't wait to see you. Yeah. Lisa, are you going to the convention? Same here, guys. Same here. Awesome. First convention, and hopefully we will see us in Chicago. Thanks for talking to us, Tobias. Yeah, thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. Bye, guys. Bye. This has been a production of the Platypus Affiliated Society, featuring original tracks by Thomas Villaggi. Platypus is an international membership-based organization that hosts reading groups, public fora, research and journalism focused on problems and tasks inherited from the old, new and post-political left for the possibilities of emancipatory politics today. Platypus also publishes articles by thinkers and activists on the left in the monthly publication, The Platypus Review. To contact, learn more about Platypus, or to access the entire archive of Platypus reviews and panel recordings, please visit us online at platypus1917.org. That's the word platypus, followed by the numerals 1917.org. Bye!